Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. Loving the podcast? Want more from the Ruins of Empire universe? Want the latest updates about this and the other projects I'm working on? Well, you can go to www.sagaofinsanity.com and check out chapter-by-chapter author commentary, book reviews, and just random madness from the mind of Jeremy L. Jones. Just a warning, he's not quite right in the head. You are listening to Ruins of Empire, Templum Veneris, book two of the Ruins of Empire Project, a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author. Chapter 22. The first CEO, Chad Signet, announced the formation of the Corporation Military on June 5th, 2101, calling it a security force for a new age in global politics. It is insurance that the forces of chaos and disorder never threaten the prosperity of all citizens of the world. Though propaganda at the time tried to sell the idea that the corporation military was nothing more than heavily armed security guards, contemporaries appeared to understand the truth immediately. A journalist that obtained documents containing details about the formation of new armed forces wrote, I fear that when this mercenary force is turned loose on a city, the unfortunate residents will wish they had been simply bombed out of existence. For there is no honor in these ranks, no sense of duty, only a hunger for wealth and plunder, not seen since the Mongolian tribes decimated half the earth many centuries ago. From The Fall, The Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Raff. You are ready, Joanna asked, standing by the main electrical panel. Kronos knelt by an open access panel in one of the computer consoles. He reached into his bag to produce a small orb. He held it in his hand until it started glowing, and then he released it. It hovered in place and cast a soft glow that helped light the darkness underneath the computer panel. I am ready, said Kronos. Joanna flipped a series of switches, ending with a bright red one as long as her middle finger. The moment she pulled it down, the ship went dark, leaving Cronus's orb as the only source of light. This will not take long, he said as he crawled into the darkness. Joanna made her way across the room, carefully avoiding piles of deconstructed electrical equipment, and knelt by the open panel and watched Cronus work for a moment. Did you find fun in the city last night? Cronus's voice echoed inside the panel. I slept. Can you move the orb a few centimeters to the right, please? Joanna touched the orb with some hesitation, nudging it into a new position. Better. Yes, hold it there. I just need to make a few more connections. Were you with anyone? Kronos wiped the sweat from his forehead. Only some of it was from the heat inside the ship. Of course not! Then, realizing he sounded defensive, added, Vago lent me his room in the Salah. The work here has been very trying. I am sorry if I am keeping you. Kronos started to slide out. Why would you apologize? If I did not want to be here, I would not be. You have done fascinating work. It must be completed. Once free from inside the panel, he sat up. Now we restore the power. We bring new life to these old systems. Joanna helped him to his feet, and they made their way back to the main electrical panel. Joanna flipped the switches in the same order as she had before, pausing at the large red switch. She smiled at Kronos and took his hand. Are you ready? That simple touch both stimulated and terrified him. Despite the amount of time she'd spent working on the machines, her hand felt smooth and delicate, 
His throat went dry, and he had to swallow hard to eke out the words. Yes, I am ready. Joanna took a deep breath and pushed up on the switch. Somewhere deep inside the ship, there was a loud, hollow, metallic crash. The lights didn't even flicker. Not one monitor came back to life. Joanna sighed and Kronos let go of her hand. They waited in silence for a moment. It is possible the capacitor needs a moment to warm. As soon as he started saying it, every light in the ship flickered on. Kronos spun around and clapped his hands as, one by one, almost all the monitors displayed a startup sequence. After a few minutes, a simple logo appeared, a blue orb dotted with tiny stars, along with the words, Sociedades por Asios. After that, a progress bar started moving slowly to the right. Kronos and Joanna looked at each other. Her eyes sparkled with delight. She clasped her hands together as if she were about to say a prayer. You did it. The systems have returned. Thank you, Kronos. Thank you. Thank you. This was it. This was the moment. He had spent the last two days throwing away every opportunity he was given. If he didn't do something bold now, he would leave this planet, always wondering what could have been. It's like Vago said. If there's something you want, something that's going to make you happy, you just gotta go for it. He took her hands in his and started to lean forward. Joanna closed her eyes and leaned in to meet him. It was going to happen, thought Kronos, and it was going to be perfect. His right forearm started to tingle, indicating an Aeroscom waiting for him. He pulled away just before his lips met Joanna's. I'm sorry, he said, touching his ear. It's Isra. What do you want, Isra? he said with more than a touch of irritation in his voice. Joanna stood back and awkwardly glanced around at the ship. Kronos, meanwhile, tried to focus on Isra's voice. She spoke the Cytherian language, and her voice seemed to come from far away. Isra, you trying to talk to me? What do you want? Isra continued talking in Cytherian. She kept repeating a phrase that included his name, but otherwise he couldn't understand. To him, it sounded like Isra was having a conversation in Cytherian. Isra, I'm going to shut this down. I am busy. Isra, now sounding highly annoyed, repeated the phrase one more time and continued her conversation. Kronos shook his head and ended the calm. Is everything okay? asked Joanna. I don't know. It was strange. Do you know what quando captimos a Kronos means? Joanna sucked in a breath and her eyes shot open. Who? It was Isra. She was speaking to someone else. I don't know who. Joanna grabbed one of his hands and started dragging him through the ship. Come, you must hide. Celia held the door of the rail car open for Isra and four of the Arenha's soldiers. Isra stepped out onto the windy mountaintop and looked up into the black, bullet-shaped craft embedded into the top of the mountain. She didn't have much time to warn Kronos. As they walked on the trail to the summit, Celia watched Isra as if looking for some sign, any sign, that the woman from Earth would try and disobey the Arenha on some level. Isra realized she would have to employ a less direct method to warn Kronos. The problem was that he was not the quickest at grasping subterfuge. If it had to do with wires, code, and cryptographic protocols, he was one of the most brilliant minds Isra had ever worked with. But in matters of human interaction, Kronos was only slightly better than a young child. Still, she was running out of time and options. Even with Celia glancing in her direction occasionally, Isra slowly inched the sleeve of her jacket up just enough to touch the screen again. She kept her eyes on the path ahead and used her peripheral vision to find the icons that would contact Kronos. 
What do you want, Isra? Kronos's voice sounded highly annoyed and more than a little agitated. It was clear to Isra that her call interrupted something, and it didn't require much imagination to guess at the nature of it, but she pushed it out of her mind for now. Celia, Isra started, conversationally speaking Cytherian. When we capture Kronos, what are we going to do with him? Celia shrugged. You know the Arena's orders. His fate is the same as yours. He will be held in the Salah until your armies from Earth arrive. Isra, Kronos repeated, oblivious to the message Isra was trying to send. Are you trying to talk to me? What do you want? Isra tried to speak more deliberately. Yes, I understand that. But when we capture Kronos, will he be held in a cell? Do you expect information from him? I want to be sure he is not hurt. Celia regarded her with a touch of suspicion. I do not know. But the Arin Ha is not a cruel person. So long as you and Kronos cooperate, as well as Athea, no harm will come to you. Isra! Kronos spoke, more forcefully. I'm going to shut this down. I am busy. But when we capture Kronos... Isra put as much force into the words as she felt she could without being completely obvious. I want to be absolutely sure that no harm will come to him or Althea. This is important. What are you doing right now? Celia asked as she stopped and turned to glare at Isra. She could feel the emissary's suspicion, like an itching or a burning on her skin. The calm went dead and Isra sighed. He either got the message or he didn't. Isra couldn't do anything about it now. I just want to be as clear as to what the Arenha expects, she said as she kept walking. The lives of my people are important to me. I do not wish them harm because of simple carelessness. Celia rushed to catch up. Do not fear. I say again, the Arenha is not cruel. She only cares about avenging the honor of Cytheria. But why? said Isra forcefully. Have you thought about this at all? You have but one city, with perhaps two or three hundred thousand people. An impressive army. But what of their numbers? Ten thousand? I doubt it is more than twenty-five thousand. Celia sighed. What is your point? My point is, said Isra flatly, Earth has billions, and many armies. Many have more than a million soldiers each. You cannot possibly win this war. The strength of Cytheria lies in her soldiers, and... Sim, Sim. Isra turned to stand in front of the emissary. I have heard much about the strength of Cytheria these last few days, but they are not strong enough to do battle with an army ten times their strength, and many will die. Your city will be captured and perhaps destroyed. Is that what you want? The Arin Ha is wise, snapped Celia. Isra shook her head and continued up the side of the mountain. Sim, so I have heard. The inside of the ancient ship was brighter than Isra remembered it a couple days ago, and inside the main control room, more monitors hummed with life. Kronos had been busy here, but, to her small relief, he was nowhere to be seen inside the ship. There was only the small occulto woman, Joanna, busy with the control panel. Celia shouted orders to her soldiers, who marched across the cluttered ship and, before she could react, took Joanna by each arm. Where is the other one? Kronos, where is he? Celia's voice was as serene as it was when they were touring the city. Joanna tried to pull her arms free. When that proved fruitless, she gritted her teeth. Gone. Hours ago. I do not know where. Celia stared down at the smaller woman, and Isra had the urge to step forward and break up the potential fight. But the look on Joanna's face gave her pause. While she was clearly afraid, there was a hot fire of resistance burning inside her. 
Celia lost some of her serenity. Occulto, do not lie to me. No lies, Jonas spat back. He helped finish the repairs. Nita said to leave quickly. He did not say where. Celia studied Joanna for a moment. This is of no concern. If he's in the city, we will find him. If he tries to go back to his people, we will know. There is something more important than this matter. We need you to contact Earth. Joanna began chewing on her lip and looked at Isra. Somehow she knew what Celia had planned. Isra didn't know how, but the fear and nervousness she saw in Joanna's face told her that sucking Earth into a war with Cytheria was not a new idea. Isra slowly nodded her head to let the woman know that it was okay. The soldiers released Joanna, and she walked back to the control panel, rubbing her arms. Isra walked through the debris-strewn room to stand a few meters away and watched as she accessed an archaic program to align the transmitter dish. When Earth was in range, Joanna stepped away. It is ready, she said with her head down. The instructions on the screen, written in ancient Portuguese, told Isra enough to activate the radio. Whether anyone would be listening on the other side was another question. Probably not. It was a miracle Isra happened to catch the signal when she did. However, both the Ministry and the Corporation knew about the lost colony on Venus now, and there was no way to know how many dishes on Earth were turned to the Morning Star. But still, Isra didn't see any option at this point. She reached out to touch an icon that would begin the transmission. Hurry, said Celia. Send your message. As the Arenha orders, our soldiers need battle. Isra paused and looked at Celia with a frown. What did you say? Celia practically snarled. Stop your stalling. Do as the Arenha orders. Because Cytheria needs soldiers. Isra was thinking out loud. Realization hit her like the blinding light from the sun itself. Of course, it made perfect sense now. That aching, gnawing feeling like pins in the back of her spine. It wasn't just because they were lying to her. It was because the truth was everywhere to be seen if Isra had the mind to look for it. How long? asked Isra, turning around. How long have the rebellions been going on? What do you mean? Celia responded through clenched teeth. Isra's mind replayed the previous several hours. She thought about the altercation she glimpsed from the Arenha's balcony and the movements in the alleyway as she moved through the city. In any other city, they would have been normal. But Cytheria wasn't normal. Cytheria was the vision of perfection under complete authoritarian rule. She remembered the slip of paper the occulto left for her. She remembered the scar across his eye. And, despite all that, a woman that dared approach Althea to save her baby. Vega was always fond of saying that you could only keep people under your boot for so long. The truth is, Isra started walking toward the Arenha's emissary, you never brought us here to discuss peace. At least, that's not what Isabel had in mind. Do as you are instructed, Isra. Celia's voice was cold as space itself. Isra continued toward her. Arenha Isabel is losing control, and has been for a while now. Harsher penalties... Stricter laws, nothing seems to keep the acts of rebellion from springing up everywhere you look. Isabel sees this, and she knows what it means. It is only a matter of time before another house rises to power, and she and her house become just another statue in the garden of the Sala Grande. The Arenha commands it, Celia snapped, this time with a touch of desperation in her voice. Isra shook her head. But that is not what you want. It is not what they want. She indicated the four soldiers standing by with confused looks on their faces. You know that Cytheria cannot win a war against Earth, but it does not matter to the Arenha. 
She may lose power regardless, but, through war with Earth, the people of Cytheria will flock to her, begging for her protection. Easter was up close now, forcing Celia to step backward. Do not speak to me like this. You spread lies. Do it as the Arenha demands. She managed to slip a commanding tone in her voice, but Easter could see that there was nothing behind it. Celia already knew the truth, but she had never heard it spoken aloud before. If she had any faith in Isabel's cult of power, she would have ordered the soldiers to intervene, but they just stood at attention, waiting for Celia and looking more and more uncomfortable by the moment. You cannot cross your Arenha. I get that, Isra said softly. But you do not need to follow orders that will certainly lead to the destruction of Cytheria. For the first time since Isra had turned around, Celia met her eyes. She was on the verge of crying, but there was something hard and resolute there as well. What would you have me do? We leave, said Isra. We go back to the Arenha and tell her we did as she ordered. After that, if you can, try to get me out of the city. If you cannot, there will be other ways. But I will leave, my people with me. The Arenha will not get her war. Celia turned slightly to the soldiers. Garda, go wait outside. We shall follow soon. The soldiers' arms shot out to salute and they went back to the exit of the ship. Isra and Celia stood there for a moment before Isra took her hands. Thank you, friend. Thank you. Celia took a deep breath to steady her nerves. What about the other man, Kronos? Joanna approached with her head lowered. I can help him get out of the city. Isra nodded toward Joanna. Thank you. That only leaves me and Vago if he is alive. There is a way, said Celia. It will not be easy... We can get you out of the city. What about that man? Vago, asked Joanna. Isra swallowed hard to keep her own emotions in check. I do not know. I fear that he is dead, but if he is not, he is strong. He will find a way. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Templum Veneris, the second book of The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Predator by Purple Planet at purpleplanet.com. Licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license. City of Geeks, independent new media produced in Idaho.